Hello and welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I'm Lucy Race and I'm coming to you today from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and I pay my respects to elders past and present. I'm so excited to bring you the next instalment of our fifth quarter interviews with the new AFLW coaches. Today, we are heading north to the Sydney Swans to catch up with head coach Scott Gowans. Scott is no stranger to the word inaugural. Being the inaugural coach of the Dandenong Stingrays Women's Academy in 2015, the inaugural coach of North Melbourne's AFLW team, and now the inaugural coach of the Swans AFLW program as they enter the competition in Season 7. Welcome, Scott. Thank you very much, Lucy. Like many in the football world, we were shocked when North Melbourne didn't renew your contract and we were equally delighted when we heard that you were appointed the head coach at the Swans. What went into your decision to move into state and take on this role? Yeah, it was a bit of a process. I... Uh, once I left North Melbourne, I was determined that um, I'd give it two years and I said that um, I'll do whatever it takes in that two years, but um, I was determined to, to get back because I felt as, as though I still had a lot to offer. Kind of worked back from the process of finding a job and thought, well, I've got to stay involved. Collingwood offered me in a senior assistant role and I was so appreciative of it. And um, so I took that and then coached um, at the same time Pegs uh, in the school competition in the girls and also um, old Severians in the women's competition there. So I had a, a few things going uh, that kept me really busy, but kept, you know, sort of my finger on the pulse with what was coming up talent wise. And yes, yeah, so that was sort of the mindset was always to, to give it two years and just to put my head down and see what happens. And very fortunate to, uh, to land this role. Did they have to convince you? I mean, it's a big thing to move into state. No, not really. The, I suppose I, I'd read the Paul Ruse book, and it really intrigued me about the culture in Sydney. I was fascinated by that. And then I actually, I came um, in the last few at the, for the St Kilda role uh, that Nick Del Santo got, uh, and then also at the Gold Coast as well. So I had a, a couple of little nibbles that sort of didn't go my way, which is just that's absolutely fine. That's all part of the process. Got offered the chance to have a walk with Charlie Gardner down in Melbourne and, and did that. And they were about, um, they were about three or four months away from appointing a coach. At that stage, they hadn't appointed a GM of football either, uh, which they're going to do first. Once once the uh, the interview process came around, I was I was still at Collingwood and enjoying my time there, and but always had that eye on on the Sydney role, I suppose. And yeah, I left the interview thinking I'd actually muck the interview up if I'm really honest. Um, <laughs> but um, it was just nice. Once they offered me the job, there was really no doubt. I've read a bit about you talking about the the Bloods culture and how you've really immersed yourself in that and wanted to really understand it. Um, and it's interesting because Sydney and also North Melbourne, you know, with the shin bone of spirit. So these things that are talked about in terms of culture and, you know, to the point that they have actual names. Can you tell us what that is in reality and how that impacts on, say, a program? Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating topic. topic. Um, so with the shin bone of spirit, I think when you when you get a, a role like that, you've got two choices. You can either come up with your own culture uh, for a team and and really 
get the group to buy into that. Or you can take a little bit of what's already going on in the men's program. Um, some clubs, I know at Carlton and you won, where I was a senior assistant in 2017, they they really wanted the girls to own the men's culture and then drive that together. Um, so I've seen a, a number of different ways. Uh, I think as a coach, you tend to you tend to favour a, a mix of both. And I know at North, um, you believe in it. And in my case, where I suppose I went through the disappointment of losing my job, where they spoke about family and connection and everything like that, then seeing that fall apart through no fault of my own was really tough. Um, and it did question when I went for the Sydney role and got the Sydney role, I thought about it and, I, and I'll be absolutely honest, I thought, well, do I buy into this or do we come up with our own? But um, one meeting with Brett Kirk, <laughs> I was sold. He's a, he's a good salesman. He should sell cars or houses. Um, but I, I think right from the start, so if I reflect back to my um, my interview process, you know, John Longmire was sitting in it and Tom Harley, uh, Kate Marnie, who's the GM of footy, and right from that bit there where they spoke about when I asked questions and um, and spoke about my interview process and then John Longmire, the reason I said that I mucked up the interview is there was an example of come forward pressure and John Longmire was listening and then he he basically said, now stand up. He said, okay, I've got the ball, so I'm, I'm coming forward at you and he's a big man. So it was kind of, but we had this great conversation and it went on for a few minutes. It seemed like it went on for 20 minutes. It was probably two minutes. But in the end, Tom Harley said, righto, you two sit down because so, we're going at each other a bit. But it's actually, I thought I mucked the job up, but it's actually what got me the job. So I was very, mm. I was very lucky. But that that's the culture I mean. Like he was really invested in, his argument was the way men's games played here at Sydney is almost the opposite to the way that we're going to pressure because of, you know, the different skill levels where the ball's not travelling as far, um, you're not spreading the ground as much. So little things like that and and Brett Kirk spoke about where the history and the struggles of of coming through and the and then the 1982 move here to Sydney and how the men were training out of the weights were in the boots of cars they had no oval no anything and um and he, and then he spoke about you know the 2005 2012 premierships and uh, I suppose the thing that sold me on the belief in the bloods culture was that he was getting emotional talking about it and you could just tell the passion in, in his voice of uh, what they rewarded, which is things like effort, um, you know, doing extras, never giving up, all that sort of stuff. And um, it sold me again. And I may prove to be wrong, but um, yeah, I'm completely bought in. But I was I was sold on it straight away that it it didn't have anything to do about your background, where you come from. It doesn't have anything to do with your football ability. It's what you are character wise and what you bring to make other people better. So in terms of um, of this opportunity, you, you actually get a chance to build a list from scratch again. So something that you, you did at North and, and now doing for the Swans. How are you doing it differently? It's a big topic, but I'll try and summarise it. It's, <laughs> I think it, if I reflect back to North Melbourne, we, we had the opportunity to, to, with the rules, to really target some top-end talent. Um, and we thought if we could get 20 really top-class athletes and put them together, um, one, it would give us the experience, but it also give us a chance to, to sneak a premiership nice and early. But it did mean that I suppose the other 10 players on the list, we had a portion that had to come from Tasmania and um, there was a bit of a gap, if we're really honest, with the talent there other than a couple of the Tasmanians. So there was there was going to be a big divide between player one and player 30 and we knew that. So we needed to have a good run with injuries, which we did, but it, also the top-end talent was so good it got us through a lot of games. 
and that's fine. But the problem with that is, and, and no disrespect to North Melbourne, but I, but I don't think I can explain it without saying this, is that um, at some stage that bubble needs to burst because those girls that were 27, 28 are now 30, 31. So at some stage that list has got to rejuvenate. Uh, and I think what we've seen in the draft this week, they've probably taken that first step to do that. So there's going to be a little bit of a turnover with players and we've seen some players move to Hawthorne and that naturally just had to happen. It's just the way it is. And um, through probably no fault of North Melbourne's own, um, COVID probably stopped them having a really good crack at mm. some premiership glory. Yeah. But that was the way the list was built. So with the rule changes and, and this one, I thought about it and uh, spoke to the people here and I said, look, I think a better build is to build taking the culture part, the people first approach, and then um, maybe not getting the top end talent, but we were always going to build from the ground up. And my main thing was to get going before Hawthorne and Essendon and Port Adelaide did with the VFLW and we picked some um, some really quality footballers that have played a lot of footy but just haven't maybe had their opportunity at AFLW level. Mm. And part of the criteria was you had to have missed a draft, you had to have been told that you weren't good enough, I suppose, um, for various reasons, uh, or you had to be a delisted player. And that was, I thought if I could get 15 of those players that have got a point to prove, any coach will tell you the first thing you need is effort, intensity, uh, and a desire to improve. And those players naturally have that. So I thought if I can give them an opportunity, then we'll keep having a throw at the stumps and try to land the big one, which we couldn't. Uh, for various reasons and mainly because of the time of the season moving forward. But um, it allowed us to do that and at the same time also then have a go at some of the young kids at the top end as well, which we, we did and were successful. So And so in terms of landing a big one, you did that last week at the National Draft. I guess there was a, it was a bit of a late surprise when two of the top sort of touted players from Victoria nominated New South Wales as their preferred state and congratulations on bringing Montana Ham, draft pick number one to the Swans. How did you do it? <laughs> It kind of came about. Um, it came about naturally, to be honest. It was a just a conversation that we had, and um, at no stage really um, said to her, "Look, we'd love you to come." And it was just a conversation about the opportunity. And 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 we went down, um, visited them in the house. They were pretty impressed that we actually turned up to the house. We actually flew down. We didn't have anything else on other than going to see uh, Montana and Sophia Hurley. And we said to them, "Look, we're, we're by no means think." you're going to say yes but we wanted to just tell you a little bit about ourselves with the view that in five or six years time they may be looking to as another opportunity got no indication because we didn't ask the question left there uh followed up maybe a week later and just said look have you got any questions and they said oh, i would like to meet again so we thought wow <laughs> we didn't talk to any other victorian um, player at that stage we we talked to one other later on because they were a murray bush rangers player living in victoria but we didn't talk to any other melbourne based players it was just those two, and um, if one of them had a said no, we, we probably wouldn't have gone for another one either. Mm-hmm. It's just that they both said yes from those meetings. So I think the no pressure attack, if you like, or the method that we used actually allowed them to be one comfortable, but two see that you know we were just offering a different something different to the other clubs, and mm-hmm. yeah, both uh, both said yes, and I mean they could be. Both of them could be anything, so it's uh, very exciting for the Swans. And Sophia played, um, she was a Vic Metro teammate with Montana. Did that factor in to the decision that the two of them would nominate together? Not really. They actually didn't know about it. Um, we, we kind of took the view that 
because we, we discussed that and said that may be a, a, an interesting way to do it and to let one know the other. We, we did find out they both mentioned each other as friends and we said, you know, who you're closest with. But we were pretty adamant that we wanted to do it so that we wanted them to make the decision uh, if they were going to do it. It had to be right 100% for them. So we said to them, look, there is someone else we're talking to. We can't tell you who. In looking back at it now, I asked Sophia the other day, she had her first training session up here and I said, did you know that it was Montana? And she said, I had an inkling, but I thought it was someone else. And I said, oh, that's good. But we definitely didn't tell them who it was because, and that was the beauty of it. So once, even when Montana said yes first, and we sat, sat on it for probably three or four days, uh, both different managers, it wasn't until really the Sunday before the deadline, we told them who it was and they were so excited when they found out. <laughs> so Montana is going to have to balance finishing school in Victoria yep. with playing AFLW in Sydney. How's that going to work? Yeah, we're just working through that at the moment. The big the big thing is, and, and she wants to play every game, and as soon as she told us she was coming, it was the first thing we spoke about with her mum, Sharon, and just said, look, I know it's hard, and I know what it was like when I was young too. You just want to play footy, but the priority is your school. You're going to be here for 10, 15 years potentially. So um, if you miss whatever this season, it really doesn't matter. Um, so she's here at the moment. She's doing a two-week block through school holidays, and then she'll come up and do the, um, the Saturday mornings, which are kind of like our match sim main session and then you know really that's that's it until she finishes school and I'm look I'm sure she'll play it's she there's no doubt about it she'll play but it's just how many and when we don't know whether it's just a couple of games in Melbourne we just don't know yet so we'll work through with the AFL I've got a new person that's that's helping with all that and Lindsay Byrne our PDM yeah together we'll just work out what's right with her and I think she's I'm pretty confident she's a fairly good student which helps in the process but uh, yeah there's no pressure on them at all and this is a build, I suppose, we've done for, we're aiming for year three to five to be really, I suppose, ex- the expectations of winning. And uh, yeah, she fits firmly into that. So some of the other players you've picked up, you mentioned uh, there's a few from the Giants that have come across. Can you tell us about the Crosstown rivalry? Do you see it's going to play out in the AFLW? Yeah, that's interesting. I They still Actually, one of them is actually living with two of the other GWS players still. So it's it's fascinating, isn't it? I I reckon um, I reckon it'll be there, but I don't think it'll be as uh, maybe as not nasty is not the right word, but maybe as uh, pointed intense. as what the boys. Yeah, <laughs> intense. Yeah, is what the boys will be. I think the girls will have a good crack on the field because they do anyway. They 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 love it. You know, even when they've come from different VFLW teams and they play for <laughs> against each other in AFLW, it's on for young and old. Uh, it's actually good. I I find AFLW if you if you know the backstory of where these girls have come from, like the old Eastern Devils and Darabin and Diamond Creek and all them, when they play each other, you can actually still see those rivalries sometimes in contests. And I'm not sure the general public get that, but I love the fact that I can see that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, so it's, it is interesting. I I think there will be a rivalry, um, but I reckon it's be pretty respectful. And I know um, we're playing them in match sim in a couple of weeks' time, and you know, there's, we've been working in pretty closely with them from a coaching group as well. And mm. uh, potentially we'll be doing so. Our players that don't get selected in the twenty-one, we're looking at putting their leftovers. Our players that don't get selected as well, um, a few academy girls together and playing sort of a scratch match to give the girls a chance to sort of show their wares. I'm Sam Moston, and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum. So rivalry between the coaches. You mentioned before, you know, your strategy to get in before some of the other clubs playing AFLW, and you all would have caught up before the draft. Are they all talking to you, or do you get frozen <laughs> out? 
I bet God I'd come up and said, should I be talking to you? <laughs> you got <laughs> they, a few hawks too. I know. And Nathan Burke called out across the table and said, what's it like having a target on your back? <laughs> <laughs> now, nah, look, I, I get on fairly well with all of them. I think um, I think there's a healthy rivalry and we, we have a bit of a joke and we caught up for breakfast the next morning, all the coaches together. Uh, it, was, it was nice. And, you know, I sat next to, to Mick Stanier and, you know, we had a good crack at Kate Hoare. And, but I think it's all, I think everyone's aware of, what the competition and where the competition is. And Josh Vanderley from Hawthorne came up to me and uh, and shook hands and he was fine. He just had a, a little jive and we just he just said, look, there's nothing against you guys. It's more the rules and things like that. So nah, it's all good. And I think um, I find most coaches get on pretty well with each other and you, you kind of have to in this. It's a, such a small industry and you know, I'm on my fourth club now. So at some stage, I'm probably likely to, to meet other people and work with them. So um, I don't think you can be too too vocal in your displeasure at someone. I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> so if we think about your list, you've got, you know, yeah. the players that have come from other clubs, you've got the players you picked up in the draft. The other part of that that I think is really interesting is the local talent. And yeah. I noticed, so you picked up Cynthia Hamilton was your third yeah. pick and she's from the Queanbeyan Tigers. I love the fact that she's joining her sister yeah. at the Swans. We love we love seeing siblings yeah. alongside each other. But I'd love to know what the local talent's like. Yeah, it's um very it's 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 good at the top end. The top end I think probably as I expected would be okay. There's probably five or six girls under the ones that we've taken um, that I reckon could play AFLW. It's probably or well, the reason that they missed out was that we felt that the opportunity to get a Lauren Zagetti versus a girl that's just playing in the Sydney a competition was just too good to throw away, but they will be in our train ons in our train on group. The drop away is still too significant for it to be competitive, though. Um, so if we were picking a VFLW team, for instance, I reckon our one to ten would be okay. But then the next level down is probably not there, and it's it's interesting that they've been in the academy. I think it's there in their third year, but it's been very interrupted with COVID. So. They've done a lot of work on kick, mark, handball, and I think they kick it and mark it no problem at all, like as equal to anyone else. It's the game sense stuff that they just don't have yet. And just watching the academy games, a lot of it is they still follow the footy. There's no layering of uh, and and just things like that and concepts that you can only get playing Sandville or VFLW or Coffle. That's the next level. So hopefully, and part of my role is to help that. So I'm... Um, currently we're putting together a program where I'll coach the coaches that are coaching that and then I also want to do a little bit of work in the Sydney Premier League when, when time permits post this season and and not tell them what to do but show them what my experiences were and right back even to Diamond Creek when I coached Diamond Creek and you, know, you came up against sides and you yeah, that were really, really structured sides. But then also when you dropped down to the reserves, they were playing in the Northern Football League where it wasn't structured at all. But if you go and watch those teams now, they are structured. It's just that it just needs to filter down. Mm. So I'd say in two or three years' time, I imagine that we'd be picking mostly from the New South Wales, or I hope so, from the New South Wales Academy um, areas. And But that's it just needs time. It just needs that two or three years of, of building the coaching expertise up for what works in AFLW, not necessarily what works in football, because um, a lot of these coaches obviously are watching mainly men's footy, and the concepts in men's footy uh, don't necessarily transpire to 16 aside AFLW. You know, you've been involved in in helping to develop coaches for quite some time. Do you think? I mean, we now see that we've got three female coaches in the 
in the cohort, which is wonderful. Do you you think we're getting better? What are the signs for us to look out for to see that it is getting better? The number one sign for me is still that if they go away and coach their own side, the the learning is is like that. It just goes up through the roof. You you can be an assistant, you can play them, be an assistant. This is the same for men as well, that you can't beat the experience of coaching your own side and facing um, the off-field stuff that you you just can't put in a book. Um, You know, it can be the emotional intelligent side of it where you've got you know some players that need revving up versus players that just need to be quietly motivated and the spectrum of coaching a player that's played one game or a hundred games and how you sell the same concept in the time available and there's just so many different avenues to it and you know i love the fact that uh, i did my level three with netwood and um and yeah just a a really clever thinker and she's um she's going to be a good coach she's she's just needs that time and support to be able to to experience all the stuff with aflw and the pressures of it that it brings and and i think they've from what i know at essendon they've put some really good people around her so she'll be she'll be great as well and bet goddard's obviously very experienced and she'll have no problem at all she's uh stole all north melbourne's list so <laughs> what goes around comes around <laughs> I'm joking, Beck. <laughs> um, you talk about, you know, that pr- the pressure. You know, do you think there'll be some advantages to being a little bit further away from the fishbowl? Yeah, I do. I, I honestly do. I think it's um, – got no idea how we're going to go. I really don't. But uh, I think – I hope – that we're going to be competitive um, from picking players that, as I said earlier on, that you know, have a point to prove. That's probably a tick. It's just that when we face the sides that are well-structured, bigger bodies that have done six pre-seasons of AFLW, we're probably going to get beaten up a bit. That's that's the way it is. And so I think there'll be a mix of, um, of poor performances, but a mix of good performances as well. And hopefully we can find the right balance to give us more good than bad. But I fully expect us to get the spectrum of what we've got. So the pressure, the pressure will be there from from me because I I like to win. That's that's naturally what coaches do. But I'm also mindful, and I have it written on my whiteboard that um, you know time heals all, and I believe that yeah we just need time to develop. And if we develop properly and not try to rush the wins, I think the yeah, following the process, the results will take care of itself. So the fixture is out now and you can start really putting some things in the diary. Yeah. Your the first game for the Swans is going to be at North Sydney Oval against the Saints. That's not going to be your home ground though, is it? I think Henson Park will. Yeah, Henson Park. North Sydney's um gets handed over to cricket pretty early on and yeah, there's just no avenue to play another game there this season i think going forward it'll be two at henson and two at north sydney so we'll kind of share the home duties there uh and then the scg as well we'll we'll make it one or two at the scg going forward as well this year we've just got one because again it gets handed over to cricket it's an interesting mix of grounds because north sydney oval is very small and compact whereas obviously the scg and henson are quite big so uh it'll be a good test what can we expect from the atmosphere? Oh, North Sydney's going to be amazing. Like, you know, obviously there's no ticket sales at the moment, but just the interest from the members. I think, well, Swans have already got the most AFLW members, so um, we haven't even had a team at that point. And the emails that come in through sponsorship and membership is unbelievable. Um, so I think the capacity is 12,000. Uh, they fully expect to sell that out, like no problem at all. That ground is almost like a cauldron. Uh, 510, you know, under lights, it's going to be an amazing experience. And I, I, I'm hoping that the that alone gets the girls up and about um, in the difficult times of the match because St Kilda are obviously uh, on the improve and very contested side and they're great at clearance as well. So it's, a, it's going to be an in-tight type game. But um, the first side that can 
get stoppages, I suppose, going their way, mm. you basically score uh, pretty much anywhere between the arcs because it's only a 40-metre arc. <laughs> That'll be interesting to watch. In terms of, you know, because you do have to think about the off-field as well and you, you're building a club and building a membership base, I wonder are there expectations on on you and on, on the players to be that forward-facing PR side of, of the Swans and of, of Australian rules football in, in New South Wales? Yeah. I think I think it's um it's not an expectation it's more an honor to be honest it's a it's a big part of all of our roles and um, we spoke to the girls at each of their interviews and said that 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 is a part of you know, saying yes to us is that you need to be able to to know at times you're not going to want to do a couple of things but we've got to go and do it and they've been so good so far and um, it's actually the reverse they we we have a little bit of a list on the whiteboard and yeah, there's no problem finding anyone to do anything and you know whether it's a lunch and it's a there's different supporter groups, um, the men's games, the Swans um, have a, a room that they at the SCG here and uh, yeah, we're able to use that room and the, the sponsors all mingle with the girls and talk to them and it's just a great feeling. I reckon that's all part of it too with the AFLW is that sense of belonging and if you can get that mm-hmm. sense then um, the girls will generally perform. It's not often you get a chance to, to do something twice. As you look ahead to to this um, experience of being head coach of another AFLW team, what are you going to take with you and what are you going to leave behind? Yeah, good question. I think I hope I take my my evenness with me. So I I think I'm a fairly even-minded coach that when opposition sides get momentum or, you know, things happen in a game that don't go our way, I'm pretty good at keeping my head and just focusing on what I need to focus on. So I hope I take that with me still, knowing that at times the scoreboard might not look as pretty as what it did at North. And what I leave behind, I probably, on reflection, I did reflect on my time at North. I'm hoping, I would say that I'm fairly good at connections, being personal to players. But I, I if I'm really honest about it, I'd say my reflection was that there were probably a group of maybe six to ten girls that I didn't connect enough with North Mm. and whether and mainly because they lived in Tasmania which was really tough from a connection point of view but there were some other things as well that if um, I'm being brutally honest is that I want to make sure that each one of the 30 girls I make sure that I've got a a complete connection with so I know the signs of when they're up and when they're down and yeah that's probably what I reflected on. It's a good answer too. (laughs) (laughs) So before we let you go Scott I just wanted to ask something that fascinates me is um, the pre-game address and that every week you've got to come up with something. There's a lot of people that go to you know certain things for inspiration like Bette Goddard goes to John Farnham. Do you have <laughs> is there something, is there someone or something that you go to for inspiration? Oh, I don't want to sound like a dork here, Luz, but I'm a, massive, <laughs> I'm a massive U2 fan. I would read anything on U2 and I've studied you know, their lyrics and things like that and there's pieces of that and on their journey that they've they've had a lot of ups, but they've also had some downs as well and um, gone through transformations and all, all different things and there's a lot that you can learn from what they say in lyrics so it might be only one or two lines and i can't think of an example but if you think of a song like one where it was about them almost breaking up and coming back together versus a song that's um like beautiful day where it's all about trying to make the world a happier place to a really Dalewood song like Bullet the Blue Sky. So there's a lot, there's a lot of spectrums there, and um, everyone's going to think I've gone mad. But I take to answer your question, I take a lot. That's where I focus on. So I'm, I'm probably as quirky as Beck with those little 
stories and things like that and occasionally the girls pick up on it and the younger ones go what is that? some of them actually say who's you too <laughs> ouch <laughs> montana ham had her um license out on the desk the other day it said 2000 um 2004 <laughs> i said what's that what's what's that and she said oh it was when i was born i said oh my god <laughs> 2004 so it's, it's, it's very confronting. I started coaching in 2004. So. Well, I wonder if you've reflected on um, Under a Blood Red Sky. Yeah, I have a little bit. In what way, though? In the, in the Well, just, you in know, the in that maybe that you're meant to be, you were meant to be at the Swans. Ah, very good. I like that. That's quirky. I like that. Yeah, it's, I don't really have like a favourite song, but um, I find, see, I find inspiration from, because I play guitar as well, and Things like Where the Streets Have No Name, I find inspiring. But the start of that song, uh, to me, is something that can put me into a different place in the world. And the when I lost the job at North Melbourne, I listened to music sort of in lockdown a lot. And I listened to a lot of people do cover versions of Where the Streets Have No Name. I find that almost reflective of like I was heading to a place, I want to run, I want to hide, like all that sort of stuff, mm. um, to me, kept me... I, like I actually noted down in my book a lot of little things that I would use this year uh, reflecting back to that time. And so, yes, yeah, so I might have Beck Goddard covered with the... the, the I like it a lot. Stuff. And I'm actually really hoping that there, you know, when Hawthorne and City meet, that there might be guitars on yes, the field. Yes, there might be. There might be. I hope this is not going public. This is just between you and me, isn't it? Oh, no, sorry. This is on the record, Scott. <laughs> It's just there's no one listening. It's just nah, me good. and yeah, a couple of thousand yeah, yeah. IFLW fans <laughs> nah, who, who I'm sure will love this. This is our yeah. jam. No, it is. It is. Now, nah, look, and I think it's it's good to be. Oh, it's good just to be honest, to be honest and just talk about this stuff because it, it is. It's um, I'm sure a lot of people think it, but not a lot of people say it. But I'm happy to happy to share it. I think it's uh. It's what makes me bounce, so uh, I'm happy to go with it. Well, I'm so grateful that you um, did share that with us because that's something that really resonates for me as well. I just I cannot wait to see your team run out. We look forward to round one with bated breath and just want to say thank you so much for being on the Outer Sanctum this week. Uh, it's actually an honour, Lucy. I, uh, I listen intently and uh, I really enjoy uh, your work, so thank you very, very much. Thanks, Scott. 